Let's uh, go to God in prayer before we open up our text together. Our Father and our God, we are grateful to you today for, for this day and the newness of life that comes with each new day, uh, for the grace of being given the opportunity to live and to breathe, and we pray that it be used for your glory. We pray that we seize the opportunities that lie before us to be the people you've called us to be, to impact the world around us in a way that affects your kingdom and that allows your gospel to grow and to strengthen. We ask, Father, that you come amongst us, that for the next moments as we explore your word, that we would be still, that our spirits would be available to you, that the obstacles that so readily stand in our way would be removed as your spirit works and shapes and molds us into the creations that you've designed us to be. May we be willing to hear and bold enough to follow where your spirit leads as we leave this place. May we be people of courage, may we be people of grace, and may we be people of love. We thank you for Jesus and the unity we have in his blood, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21, going all the way through chapter 6, verse 9. Thank you, James. But now he doesn't have to listen. Man, that was the good thing about not having that, is they've got to pay attention. They can't just... Sit back in the booth, but that's okay. Um, now then, if something messes up, it's my fault, not his. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, really beginning in verse 21 and, and a few verses before that, all the way down through chapter 6 and verse 9 is where we're going to be looking at today as we look at what Paul has to say about relationships. But first, I want to talk to you about invasions, right? Invasions have to be dealt with. Um, one way or another, when you are invaded... You have a choice to make. That's true in war. If a, if a country invades another nation, that other nation has a choice. Do we stand and fight? And even surrender is still a way of dealing with invasion. But it must be dealt with. There's, there's really no choice but to deal with invasion. Um, in personal space, we have to deal with invasions. Um, a man I worked with used to work for Channel 4 News in Oklahoma City. Bob Grant. Not Bill Grant, Bob Grant. Um, he was a car salesman, and he loved to speak to you nose to nose. And so when Bob Grant would come up and say something, I would always catch him right here and say, hey, Bob, how's it going? Just put a hand on his shoulder, because I need this space. Right? We can talk, and we can have conversations, and I'm pretty good about, but, but he even invaded my personal space bubble, which is rather small. But when we are invaded... We have a choice to make. Are we going to stand there and take it? Or are we going to remind people that we have a space that is not worth invading and we're going to just hold right here? And frequently you'd find yourself talking to Bob Grant like this as he would continue to try to come because that's the way he communicated. Invasions have to be dealt with. They have to be dealt with when it comes to bugs as well. Many of you may have seen my Facebook or Instagram post yesterday. We had this beautiful little garden spider. I know garden spiders aren't harmless, but this one was huge. And her egg sac was even huger. And it was right outside of our door, and it came to a point, it's like, you know, one beautiful little spider is fine. Uh, 10,000 of them, not really my idea of something I really have desire to exist right outside of my back door. So we politely moved the spider and less politely removed the egg sac. And then later, as I was moving a, a box off the deck, when I picked it up, about 10,000 baby spiders just went and scattered across the deck. And so me and my masculine self was like, ah, 
you know, stomping and moving like, spiders! Like, I what are they going to do? To get the bug spray and, you know, you dealt with it because it's right by the back door. It, invasions have to be dealt with. And, and even if it's a matter of surrender, that is still a way of dealing with invasions. What in the world does this have to do with Ephesians? Well, the truth is, the gospel, through the gospel, God invades our lives. He invades every aspect of our lives, but particularly our relationships with other people. And, and we are forced to make a decision. Are we going to surrender and submit to the way God has designed for us to relate to one another? Or are we going to try to stomp it out like we did, like I did with the little baby spiders? Are we going to hold God at, at arm's length and say, no, God, that's too far. You're, and I know you keep trying to push in a little further, but I'm holding you right here because this is where I'm comfortable or we, we do as many nations do in war and just simply surrender to the fact that we are being occupied by something greater than ourselves. See, through the gospel, God invades our lives and our relationships. Now let's read Ephesians chapter 5. Um, uh, Dylan started for us in, uh, in verse 22. Um, and let's, uh, let's start in verse 29, uh, verse 28. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but he provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church. Since we are members of his body, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Well, this mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. But he's not done. Children, obey your parents as you would the Lord. Children, obey your parents as you would the Lord. For this is right. I like that one. Honor your father and mother, yes, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. <clears throat> We're going to skip verse 4 and go to verse 5. Okay, No, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children. I'm sorry, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your masters with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your hearts is to Christ. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to men, knowing whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way, without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. You see, Paul, he really covers the bases here in this section, right? He, he talks to husbands and wives. talks to parents and children. And he talks to what we would see as an employer-employee relationship. Right? Paul speaks to slave and masters and because it was common in the day not to condone any kind of slavery, but what it exhibits is this way that we are to respond and act and relate to those whom we are in service to. Maybe in your work, sometimes you may feel like a slave. Um, Dustin, for a while, when he was 
I talked to him in February before he went to the fleet, and he said, Dad, I think I made the biggest mistake of my life. And I said, really? He said, yes, I'm just so tired of people telling me when to eat, how long to eat, what to eat, when to go to the bathroom, when to sleep, and when to get up. And I said, well, bud, that's kind of what you signed up for. And then he finally got to a place where he has a little bit of freedom and a little bit of liberty, and he has a little bit of independence, and, and he couldn't be happier. But there are times where we feel like we are just bound in this time, whether it be a, a career or a job or some space in life where you don't feel like you have any kind of freedom. And it's easy to, to allow the, the worldly influences that we have begin to affect the way we relate to one another. Paul talks really plainly and openly about how you are to be if you are a supervisor of people or if you are just simply an employee, one who is given work to do without much say in the matter. Because through the gospel, God invades your life and your relationships and He requires that we deal with it. And we have those three options, right? We can stomp out and snuff out the influence that God is trying to put into our lives. We can continue to hold God at arm's length and say, you can't come any further, God. Or we can just surrender and allow him to come and take residence among us. That invasion is not comfortable. Um, Rarely is invasion comfortable. But the gospel should affect the relationships that we have. And if, if we claim to be a believer, yet we are treating our husbands or wives or children or parents or, or co-workers or employees or employers in the same way that the rest of the world treats those very same people, how do we expect to be a testimony to the transformative power of the gospel if there is nothing different among us? But he comes in and he says, I expect different from you. In fact, if, if anyone that we are in relationship with knows that we are Christian yet sees that our behavior is no different, then not only is our hypocrisy evident, but our testimony really holds no power, no weight, and no authority. We've talked at length about this over the last several weeks, um, but LifeWay research has found that roughly 70% of our young people, ages 17 to 19, are leaving the church. What will we do to, to keep that from occurring? Right? And that is the question that every church really faces. What do we do with our young people? Why are our young people so easily relinquishing the things that have been a part of their lives? These are people that have been raised in churches. And for those that have gone, how do we get them back? And, and, and I believe the truth lies mainly in the way we live out the gospel we claim to have changed our lives. That if we live the life we profess to believe in, I think people will gravitate to that. They see that what we do and the way we live is consistent with the things that we have said we believe. When our faith is acted out in real life, whether it's parents or just people in the church, because it's not just what I do with my children, because my children see you as well, and your children see me. They see the way we live, they see the way we act, they see the way we respond. 
And the question is, do our lives reflect the life-changing power that we believe lies in the gospel? See, the underlying principle of this whole passage is simply this. Do what is right. Do what is right because you are not accountable to any man, but you are accountable to God. And and while any man that you might at least temporarily be accountable to may have a certain set of expectations for you, I promise you this, God's is higher. You may have a boss or a husband or a wife or a parent or children that expects something of you, but we are accountable to God for the way that we act and the way that we respond to this invasion of the gospel. And so we read through this passage, and this is a tough one to really explain in our culture because we don't like submission. And I'm not just talking about women. Nobody likes submission. Right? And so this language comes up, and immediately all kinds of walls begin to be thrown up. Because we often start here in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And he has a husband going, yes, as to the Lord. And I know what he says. Husbands, love your wives. That seems to be a much easier requirement of me. It's not, really. But all of this is framed by what he has just said. He begins in verse 16. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit. How are we filled by the Spirit? Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. You see, this command to to be submissive is not simply to wives. It's to husbands, it's to parents, it's to children, it's to slaves and it's to masters, it's to employers, it's to employees. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, you know, if he spends all this time, why doesn't he just say that? Well, in a sense he does. Let's think about this for a moment. And this is a part of of a lot of my pre-marriage counseling. And it's good for marriage. It's also good in friendships. It's also good in employee-employer relationships. It's good for life in general. The truth is simply this. What does it mean to submit to one another? And if that's simply what it is, why didn't he stop there? Instead of parsing it out like he does. I don't know if you know this or not. But men and women are different. Yes, it's true. It is true. I know. Right? Sermon over, if you, you know, let's stand and sing, right? That's, that's all you need to know. We're different. No, but we were created as such. You know, the difference between a man and a woman is, is, is not a matter of evolution. It's not a matter of adaptation. It's not a matter of society. It's a matter of creation that you were made differently. And aren't you glad? I am so glad I'm not married to me. We might be alike in some ways, but we are so radically different that it keeps life so interesting and so beautiful. And while I am sometimes ashamed at how much like me my children are, they are enough different from me that it makes life radically interesting. 
Don't take that too far, okay? We are created different, with different languages, emotional languages. And so the first thing I will do with a couple that's coming to me wanting to be married, I require a couple of things, but one of them is that you read the five love languages. And I don't say, I want you to read the five love languages and find out who your partner is. I want you to read the five love languages and find out who you are, because how can I know you if I don't know me? But what I already know is that God knows us all, and he's already kind of laid out the premise for it here in the beginning. Let's think about this for a moment. How many of you husbands love to write lovey-dovey letters? It's kind of not in our nature, is it? We're not really loving and giving of affection. Our wives aren't typically averse to saying, honey, I sure do respect you. No, they're more apt to say, I love you. And it's like, I'm glad you love me, but what I really need is I need your respect. Because God has created me to thrive on respect. It's, it's what we pursue in business. We want to be respected. We want to be honored. And I would contend that if you ask most men, if they would rather someone say, I really love you or I really respect you, we would rather be respected. It's why we frequently have a hard time saying to one another, I love you. If I just walk up to a guy that I've not met very long and just say, man, brother, I sure do love you, he's going to go, I don't know what to do with that. But but see, our, our women in our lives don't seem to have much of an issue expressing love because it's their nature. You see, God calls us to do something different than our nature. He says, Wives, submit to your husbands because he needs your respect and your honor. It's how I've created him. And it's not your nature to respond respectful and lovingly. It's your nature to re, or to res, it is not your nature to respond respectfully. It's your nature to respond with love. But what he really needs is your honor. I created him that way. Oh, and husbands, you may be tempted to show your wife honor. And while she needs that honor, what she needs more than that is she needs to know that you love her. It's how I've created her. children your parents are there for a purpose i put them in place and there is a way that we as christians live as husbands as wives as as friends as brothers and sisters as children and parents as employers and employees and the gospel invades that life and says i don't care what your culture expects of you this is what i your god expect of you if you are going to be called mine And it is radically different, radically different than anything that we could concoct on our own. And see, the truth is this, whether it comes to relationships in the church as brothers and sisters, as family, or husbands and wives, our love for one another is always to be centered around the gospel of Jesus, around the sacrifice that Jesus gave. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord because look what he did for the church and husbands you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church that that act of love on the cross of Calvary is to be the one thing that defines what you and I mean when we say I love you I would give myself up for you I would sacrifice everything that I am and everything that I have for you because that's what I know love is gospel invades 
And the teaching really is remarkably simple. Do what is right because you are accountable to God. Isn't our greatest objective in all things to simply honor God? Right? And it's the challenge. And, and, and we see that, you know, to God be the glory. And, and it's the right thing to say. And someone says, hey, you did a good job. And it's like, well, you know, God did it. I was just kind of a tool. And that's the right thing to say. But when we leave this space and without someone prompting us, how do we really and truly honor God with our lives? Well, what we see over and over again through Scripture in multiple places is when we honor one another, we honor God. Right? When, we, when we stop seeing other people around us as simply a way from, of getting from point A to point B, of maybe seeing someone that is in our way from getting from point A to point B, when we stop seeing the people around us as something to be Used as a, as a crutch or as a tool or as a stepping stone to get to the next place. But when we begin seeing for people as they are. People. Loved so deeply by the God that we serve that he gave his son's life for them. People that Jesus loved so deeply that he went to the cross voluntarily. For them. When we understand who Jesus is and when our lives respond accordingly, when the lives that we live empower, proclaim, and profess the truth that we have claimed to believe, we honor God when we honor one another. When we live lives that honor people, We live lives that bring honor and glory to God. And that's really what Paul is trying to get us to understand in this passage in Ephesians. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And if we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, God will be glorified and God will be honored. He'll be honored in our friendship. He'll be honored in our marriages. He'll be honored in our families. And he will be honored in our community. And people will want to be a part of a body that says, those people have something different going on. There is something different and unique about those people over there because they deal with people differently. I've heard them talking, I've heard them proclaiming, and now I'm seeing them out there acting. Man, they, they are practicing what they preach. Isn't that what we always say to people? Practice what you preach. That's what it's all about. I wish I could remember who it was that reminded me of this when I was young. But when Heather and I started... Uh, I don't want to say when we started dating. You know, some people say, as soon as I met that woman, I knew I was going to marry her. That's not my story. Um, I wasn't thinking that far ahead. I was just thinking, oh, she's pretty. She likes me. Bonus. <laughs> she said yes to a date. But somewhere along the way, we uh, began talking a little more deeply about what our future held. 
I did remember there was something different about her. She was the first girl I ever dated that asked me to pray at the end of our first date. Let me tell you something. It makes it really hard to do anything inappropriate when your girlfriend says, will you pray for me? I'm like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> um, but... I remember I had this little thing that I drew up, and the first time I drew it up, I drew it up on a, on a corny little computer program. Um, but it was a heart centered on a cross with some rays of sunshine coming out behind it. And really what we decided as we kind of explored that was simply this, whatever the future held for us, if the love that we had for one another was centered on and modeled after the cross of Christ, then we could overcome just about anything, and God would be glorified in our relationship. Um, and that's got us through some really easy times. It's got us through some difficult times and some difficult children. I'm just kidding. God bless us with some good, good kids. But part of the way that God blessed us with good kids is because he continued to put people in our lives that reminded us if your love is centered on the cross of Christ and God is glorified, you can overcome the obstacles that Satan will put in your place. And that's true in marriages. That's true in a relationship between a father and his children, and a mother and her children. You know, that's true in the relationship between you and I as well. As brothers and sisters, if my love for you is centered on the cross of Christ and God is glorified, you and I can overcome anything that Satan wants to put in our way. That if we will be people who are willing to overcome our culture and our society's aversion to submission and just simply say I am not my own I was bought with a price and I now live for something greater than me submit to one another out of reverence for Christ do what's right let your love be shaped and molded by the cross and if we live in the shadow of the cross then God will be glorified in all that we do in all the relationships that we hold and our witness will have power and it will have influence in the culture that we are called to evangelize.